Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Scripps 5 Must Know Things, this time covering the business week ended 26th August 2022. This is Ian Haydock. This time, Axom gets broad label for new depression drug, Argenix CEO on Vivgard's success, Chinese firms delist from the US, solid results for Novo Nordisk's new diabetes combo, and women leaders herald change at foreign firms in India. An approval decision was delayed nearly a year, but Axome Therapeutics got good news on 19th August with the US FDA approval of Orvelity for adults with major depressive disorder. The company and analysts highlighted the product's broad label, including phase 3 trial data showing quick onset of action. The company noted Orvelity, which combines 105mg of bupropion and 45mg of dextromethorphan, is the first oral NMDA receptor modulator approved for MDD, making it the first new oral mechanism of action approved for depression in more than 60 years. In addition to the onset of action data, the language noting its statistically significant improvement in depressive symptoms compared to placebo at one week is also considered a major differentiating factor compared to currently available antidepressants. Joseph Haas writes the drug was filed for FDA approval with a 22nd August 2021 action date, but an approval decision was delayed in July 2021 due to deficiencies with the NDA. Axome did not clarify what the delay was about on a 19th August investor call. The approval came without issuance of a complete response letter or a formally revised action date. Orvelity met the primary endpoint in the Gemini study by demonstrating a statistically significant reduction in MADRS total score compared with placebo at week 6. Axome CEO Harriet Tabuto said during the company's call that the approval arrives at a crucial point as the incidence of depression has increased since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Anticipating approval of Orvelity in 2021, Axome hired a 165-member commercial team that it has kept on payroll while awaiting the drug's approval. Launch preparations began over a year ago, Axome Executive Vice President Laurie Engelbert said. The sales force will target 25,000 US healthcare providers, comprised of psychiatrists and other mental health counsellors, who cover about 70% of the product's addressable market, she said. Axome did not announce the product's pricing, although Engelbert said the company will select a price that ensures broad access for patients and that takes into account the value supported by the innovation Orvelity brings to patients with MDD. Any ambitious biotech that wishes to go it alone on the market needs to get its key commercial team in place before planning late-stage studies, according to Tim Van Huermeyeren, who's CEO of Argenics. Kevin Grogan writes that the CEO's views come with considerable weight given the stellar launch Argenics has enjoyed with Vivgard, which was approved by the US FDA at the end of last year for generalised myasthenia gravis adult patients who are ACHR antibody positive, a subgroup that represents 85% of the total GMG population. The thumbs up made Vivgard the first therapy to be approved from the FCRN inhibitor class and the reception from physicians and payers has been extremely warm. 
Second quarter sales came in at $75 million, again soaring past analyst consensus forecasts. The strong showing was also helped by an impressive launch in Japan, where Vivgard is approved for both ACHR positive and negative patients. Speaking to Scrip as Argenix secured European approval for Vivgard earlier this month, Van Hauermeeren said, Market access is critical, and I was so glad that we had hired some of our key commercial people before we finalised the design of the Phase 3 trial. The typical mistake you learn if you talk to other biotech CEOs who have been there is hiring commercial people too late in the game, a few months before approval. The successful launch start, despite the complications of debuting during COVID-19, has validated Argenix's commercial strategy. However, the CEO claimed that the most important factor was tackling the unmet need, which is very real. On the commercial front, Argenix installed value-based agreements with the payers early on, even before we had approval, and that translated into 85% of the commercial lives already covered in Q2. That's a lot, that's fast, so the payer is collaborating with us, Van Huermeyeren said, adding that the firm's direct-to-consumer advertising and its physician education programmes are working well. In Europe, there's a ton of education to do on the disease biology, the mode of action of the drug and the clinical data, he said, and this is a long-term campaign. We have many physicians to educate and it's going well, but we have a lot of work in front of us. The success of Argenix in going it alone has not stopped the rumour mill from suggesting that the Belgian-Dutch biotech could be swallowed up by Big Pharma. The CEO told Scrip, It's a complicated question, but the way we look at it is relatively straightforward. We are here to create shareholder value. That's nothing new, and the board and management team have a good understanding of how much value we think we can create as a standalone in the next five years or so. More Chinese companies are leaving the US stock market, and on 12th August, five state-owned non-pharma companies, including PetroChina, announced plans to delist from the New York Stock Exchange. While a US listing was once a sign of going global and international expansion, the state-owned enterprises are now exiting the US in a concerted move amid the ongoing spat between Chinese and US securities regulators over auditing compliance. Brian Yang writes that the US and China are at loggerheads over American regulations requiring US-listed Chinese companies to switch to accounting firms to be investigated by the Public Company Accounting Oversight Board within three years, or two if a pending amendment is adopted. The provisions of the 2020 Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act subject all Chinese companies on the US stock exchanges to the same rigorous accounting and audit scrutiny rules as US firms, and with the 2024 deadline looming and the two sides still locked in negotiations, more Chinese companies are throwing in the towel. Out of dozens or so pharma and biotech companies listed in the US, several of them, including Beijing, Xilab and IMAB Biopharma, have already proactively switched their auditors from China-based firms to US-based ones, hoping to meet the regulatory requirements. Xilab Deputy Chief Financial Officer Yijing Chen told Scrip on 4th August the company remains committed to staying listed in the US. The executive said the listing is important for Xi's positioning as a global biotech. 
The company has already switched its auditor to the US-based KPMG and sought to broaden its investor base by a dual listing in Hong Kong. The firm completed a primary listing on the main board of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange in June. One advantage of the listing is Hong Kong's linkage with mainland stock exchanges in Shanghai and Shenzhen, allowing the firm to tap into liquidity in the mainland markets. Beijing and IMAB also made similar moves to switch their China-based auditors to US-based companies in the hope of avoiding USD listing. Some experts, though, believe the delisting of Chinese biotechs may be unavoidable, and one Hangzhou-based Chinese investor said it's likely that these companies will be kicked out of the US stock market. While not all Chinese companies will be complying with the US rules, the delisting impact may be limited, noted legal experts. Many US-listed companies already have listed their shares via a Hong Kong primary listing, and some even have listed on Shanghai's Starboard, and the additional linkages to the mainland markets adds further exposure to mainland investors. US listing is just one option, but not a must-have, given that some of the biotechs have years of overseas exposure already under their belts. Considerations on valuation, coverage and liquidity, etc. will likely continue to drive the decision-making on the relevant exchange, international law firm Ropes & Gray partner Eric Wu had told Scrip in an earlier interview. Novo Nordisk has unveiled promising top-line Phase 2 results combining novel candidate cagrilintide with diabetes and obesity blockbuster treatment semaglutide, a two-in-one weekly therapy which could help it repel competition from Eli Lilly's Munjaro. The Phase 2 study of Novo's amylin analogue cagrilintide with semaglutide in a combo known as cagrisima showed better lowering of blood sugar in type 2 diabetes patients compared with the older drug alone, along with a tripling of the weight loss achieved. More importantly, Andrew McConaughey writes, the trial suggests Novo could rival or even outstrip the blood sugar lowering and weight loss achieved by Munjaro in its Phase 3 SURPASS study, where it outperformed semaglutide. The Phase 2 trial investigated a fixed-dose combination of cagrisima compared with semaglutide and cagrilintide alone, all administered once weekly, in 92 overweight patients with type 2 diabetes. After 32 weeks of treatment, those receiving cagrisima achieved a higher HbA1c reduction from baseline compared with semaglutide or cagrilintide alone. Those given cagrisima lost 15.6% of their body weight compared with a 5.1% weight loss for people receiving semaglutide and 8.1% with cagrilintide alone. Semaglutide is the global leader in the GLP-1 class of diabetes treatments with a market share of more than 60% via its injectable form Ozempic and its oral version Ribelsis. Lilly's Phase 3 SURPASS study, released last year, showed Munjaro outperformed Ozempic in helping patients lose weight and keep their blood sugar levels under control. But early cross-trial comparisons suggest that Cagrosema comes close to Manjaro's blood sugar lowering and is even more effective in helping individuals lose weight. Comparing the results, the 2.2% HbA1c blood sugar lowering achieved by Cagrosema came close to matching the 2.3% achieved by Manjaro's highest dose in the SURPASS study. 
on weight loss, the 15.6% reduction achieved by Kagrosima compared well with the reduction of just over 12% for Minjaro's 15 mg dose. But the real test of the Novo new combination will be its phase 3 study of Kagrosima in type 2 diabetes patients, which is set to begin in 2023. Finally, more women are moving into the corner office in Pharma in India with the local healthcare business of Merck KGAA emerging as the latest foreign firm that will be steered by a female executive in the country. Company long-timer Pratima Reddy was appointed as Managing Director of Merck Specialties, effective 1st August, emerging as the first woman CEO for the group's healthcare business in India. Four global strategic priorities underpin our refreshed approach. Growing our core business, maximising launches, leveraging digital to drive growth, and harnessing the power of our people and culture, Reddy told article author Andrew Gangurdi. Reddy isn't the only female chief to helm a foreign biopharma firm in India. German peer Boeringer Ingelheim, Takeda and Sanofi's vaccines business all have women at the helm, and several Indian pharma firms too have women leaders who have proved their mettle. Boeringer Ingelheim's country managing director for India, Vani Manja, who took over the reins amid pandemic turbulence in 2021, had to hit the road running, including fending off patent challenges, while Takeda's general manager for India, Serena Fisher, is striving to build momentum with a mix of new products. 2022 also saw Sanofi transition Preeta Futnani, its franchise head for Dupixent Dermatology in the Greater Gulf MCO region, which is a cluster of six Middle East countries, as general manager for vaccines in India. Ideally, women moving up to Helm Pharma in India or elsewhere shouldn't really make headlines. Talent should not be determined by gender, colour, race or ethnic background. But Biopharma as a whole still has considerable ground to cover to improve gender representation and ensure that women have a truly level playing field when it comes to top jobs. The gender pay gap is another key area that warrants more efforts across the board. But many large companies now appear to be making earnest efforts to bridge the gender gap, and in India, multinationals such as GlaxoSmithKline have made notable strides in nurturing women leaders. GSK told Scripp that the pandemic allowed it to pause for purpose and reimagine the charter to develop a roadmap for women in India. Merck's Ready stated that women today are altering traditional practices by introducing a diverse approach to face challenges head-on and promote growth, and as a result, they are proving to be the game-changers in reinventing leadership globally. Bo Ringer's manager had similarly noted that the gender gap issue is not just an India or pharma challenge, but a truly global one. And while progress had been made in the last couple of decades, and is woefully short of the balance needed to harness the full potential of talented women in the workforce and in society. In an interview with Scrip last October, Manja urged women leaders to be their best advocate and don't ever sell yourself short. Seek, take and own your seat at the table with confidence, not apology. That's all for this week. Thanks as always for listening. All these stories in full are linked in the article accompanying this podcast, and are just a fraction of those published in script last week, which you can access by logging in. If you're not already a subscriber, take a free trial to see what you're missing.
Bye for now.